say we're really looking forward to a night out. We're looking forward to this night out and the way that we deal with it is by actually drinking a drug that renders us uh, unconscious. So <laughs> we, we want to go to this concert to enjoy, I don't know, Billy Idol, right? And, and we get so drunk we can't actually remember half of what he sang. And we think that that's normal. Welcome to the 1000 Day Sober Podcast. My name is, of course, Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol. I am an amazing father, husband, son, friend, leader, lover, and master coach, and spend every minute of the day helping people live kick-ass lives. Boom. Today, we're going to talk about absurdity, a little monologue from yours truly. But before I do that, I'm going to give you an update on my life for those of you that are interested in it. So today, well, I would say the last two weeks has been super, super emotional. I probably cried more in the last two weeks and I've cried in a very long time. I got to see my son, Jude, for the first time in two years. So, you know, those stories you read about the pandemic splitting people up? Well, I got stuck in Los Angeles. My son got stuck in uh, the UK and we couldn't see each other. And uh, the US opened up uh, their borders to uh, people from the UK and Jude was able to come over. And wow, you know, I'll, I'll just say this, you know, it's like, you know, I haven't seen him for two years, but I speak to him three to four times a week. And I was saying to Liza, you know, I, I don't really miss him. Like, it, it, like I'm, I talk to him online and stuff, and I think all this physical need to be with people is just a load of bunkum. <laughs> and then, and then I met him, and something happened physically. You know, like I was um, just being in his energy, in his space, his smell, his his mass just him being there like there's this big bloke all of a sudden like he's 20 now right and um you just realize in that moment how important these people are in your life and how they contribute um and how important they are and i just cried all the time and there was a period where i really wanted to make sense of it i was um kept asking myself, why? Why am I so upset? Why am I so sad? Why am I crying all the time? And a good friend of mine and fellow master coach, Krista Resnick, who is going to be a future guest on the podcast, said to me, stop thinking about it, Lee. Stop thinking about it and um, just experience it and feel it. And a good friend of mine, Philip, said, it seems like he's really opened your heart and it hasn't been opened like that in a long time. And that's a beautiful thing. Just feel it. So a lot of advice there from my friends to get out of your head and into your body or more accurately, get out of the left side of your brain, that logical, rational thinking part of your brain and get into the right side of your brain where your emotions uh, play havoc and just, just sit in it. And how many of us, you know, when it comes to being people that uh, want to stop drinking alcohol, being people who want to, who don't drink alcohol, you know, when we're drinking, how many of us actually, you know, are terrified of being in the right side of our brain, are terrified of being in that emotion, are terrified of feeling. I've been learning more and more that that's a, that's a beautiful place to be and it's a safe place to be. And the more you spend there, the safer it is. So we had some great times in Los Angeles and Las Vegas. I was in Las Vegas shooting a, a poker documentary 
and looks like I'm going to leave the US actually and do more freelance work in documentary filmmaking. I really enjoy it. Uh, it's really exciting. It's different. And it puts uh, food on the table. So uh, it looks like I'm going to be leaving the US. I spoke to my immigration lawyer on Monday, and uh, she says, as long as I leave by February 14th, I won't get a ban. And then I can apply for my US residency from the UK. That's my plan. That's my plan. And um, I'm really looking forward to it. Like I'm super excited in the wild man group by the way we have we have a man's group man's group men's group we have a men's group it's called the wild man group and we talk about what it means to be men better men or be better at being men if you're interested in wanting to join our group uh email me at 1kdaysober at gmail.com and i'll let you know more about it but this week we've been talking about the principle of um being on the red road or the black road so this comes from an old Lakota tradition that I read in a book called Backbone by Robert Wagner. And the Black Road is that really wide, expansive road that we know all too well. The Black Road is a road of familiarity and comfort, the path of least resistance. It's where we are on autopilot. It's when we are in the matrix. The Red Road is more challenging. It's more uncomfortable. But it's the road that will lead you to meaning and purpose and a life uh, worth living, I suppose. And for me, leaving LA and getting on my bike again is definitely um, getting onto that red road. We've been talking about that this week in the Wildman Group. You know, how many of us are on the black road? How many of us are on the red road? What is stopping us getting from the black road to the red road? Um, really good, interesting conversation. So if you want to be part of the Wildman group, then give us a shout and uh, I'll let you know how to join that, okay? And while I'm at it, um, what else do we have? Well, we have um, our Stripe membership. So if you want to take the Stripe method, over 120 online uh, videos that will help you to become people that don't drink alcohol and 62% of people who graduate are still not drinking after a year, then um, let me know at 1kdaysilver at gmail.com and we'll sort you out. And yeah, if you want to be, and then for that, you also become part of our Stripe community and you get access to our Marco Polo community, uh, which is a mobile app, video recording app, and uh, you will uh, join our online meetings and get uh, once a month coaching from myself in the group format. And if you want to work with me personally, one-on-one -on, -one on anything at all, particularly if you are a man wanting to focus on being a better man or being better at being a man, then email me at 1kdaysober at gmail.com, all right? But today, I'm going to talk a little bit about absurdity and the role that it plays in alcoholism being an invisible, violent, and dominant belief system. And just quickly, for those of you that might be new, I believe um, wholeheartedly that there are a number of reasons why we drink alcohol. But one of the key reasons we drink is because we all human beings, from the moment they are born, uh, become part of an invisible, violent, and dominant belief system that encourages us to drink alcohol. And that belief system doesn't have a name, and that is why it remains invisible. It's violent because it kills 3.3 million people a year. And it's dominant because when you look around, more people that you know are drinking than not. So I have called that uh, belief system alcoholism, okay? So I don't look at alcoholism. I don't talk about it in the same way that you will uh, hear about it elsewhere. 
For me, alcoholism is an invisible, violent, and dominant belief system with the one sole purpose of getting you hooked drinking alcohol. And one of the ways it does that is the absurd nature of um, the way we talk about alcohol. You know, so let's start out by just saying how it is. You know, if you Google the top five most addicted drugs in the world, alcohol will be up there. Uh, at the same time, it is the only drug where you will be encouraged to take it uh, by people who love you. Children are encouraged to take it by their parents. And you're actually ostracized or ridiculed or shamed if you don't. That in itself is absurd. Can you imagine that with heroin? You know, like people, parents like suggesting that their kids take heroin and then taking a piss out of them if they don't. Yeah, they do it with alcohol and alcohol kills 3.3 million people a year. I don't know how many people, how many people die of heroin abuse, but it is not 3.3 million people, ladies and gentlemen. All right. That in itself is absurd. If you think about it, right? It's absurd um, that this happens. Okay. And Voltaire said, anyone who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. And this comes from uh, Questions sur les Miracles. That's my crap French that he wrote in 1765. And the English translation, Voltaire wrote, formerly there were those who said, you believe things that are incomprehensible, inconsistent, impossible, because we have commanded you to believe them. Go then and do what is unjust because we command it. Think about that a minute, right? Like, formerly there were those who said you believe things that are incomprehensible, inconsistent, impossible because we've commanded it. Think about drinking alcohol and how absurd it is that we sit there and we drink this poison that tastes pretty much disgusting, right? And then we wake up the mo in the morning after with the biggest hangover ever, puking up all over the place. We probably upset loads of people. We have lightly gone semi-blackout. So let's say we're really looking forward to a night out. We're looking forward to this night out. And the way that we deal with it is by actually drinking a drug that renders us uh, unconscious. So <laughs> we, we want to go to this concert to enjoy, I don't know, Billy Idol, right? Um, and we get so drunk, we can't actually remember half of what he sang. And we think that that's normal. Formerly, there were those who said, you believe things that are incomprehensible, inconsistent, impossible, because we have commanded you to believe them. So go do what is unjust because we command it. Well, who is the we that commands it? The we in this case is the invisible, violent, and dominant belief system. The belief system commands it. And the people that believe in that belief system, the people, the people who drink alcohol, right? They command that as that as incomprehensible, inconsistent, and impossible it is to believe that drinking a powerful drug that kills 3.3 million people a year is okay. We command that you do it. And because there's more of us than you, human nature says we'll do it. So Voltaire continues, such people show admirable reasoning. Truly, whoever can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. If the God given understanding of your mind does not resist a demand to believe what is impossible, then you will not resist a demand to do wrong to that God given God given sense of justice in your heart. As soon as one faculty of your soul has been dominated, other faculties will follow as well. And from this derives all those crimes of religion that are overrun the world. I mean, the part that I want to focus on there is as soon as one faculty of your soul has been dominated in this case, 
the faculty of the soul that's been dominated is, is this belief that drinking alcohol is normal and, and pleasurable, even in the face of such incredible absurdity. There are other ways in which we will fall uh, victim to these kind of systems. Carnism is one, like eating meat, you know. Let me give you an example of the absurdity of carnism. And I just want to say, I'm not, not trying to convince you to become vegan. Um, I myself have started eating egg yolks lately, right? This is not what this is about, but bear with me. And as I say this, if you feel any sort of defensiveness, anger, frustration, you know, the desire to fucking tell me how it is, then this is part of the system. This is how it works, right? So imagine somebody goes with you to Umami Burger in LA and they order a typical ordinary burger and you order an impossible burger um, and your impossible burger is is made out of plant-based material. I don't really believe the argument that, um, yeah, this plant-based material that you're eating is really bad for your health because pretty much there's a lot of evidence out there that says that eating red meat is bad for your health. So, you know, come on, let's just uh, play the game there a little bit. But let's say you gave somebody a taste of that impossible burger. It would be very difficult for that person to tell the difference, right? And I've done this. I've actually been in Umami Burger and I've given people the taste of my burger and they've all said, wow, you cannot tell the difference. But then they didn't go out and buy it. They continue to buy beef. Why? Do you think that's a bit absurd? If you know that we kill 9 billion animals a week, yet here is this product that is going to give you the same kind of health benefits there or thereabouts, and it tastes the same, why don't you eat it? That's pretty absurd, right? Partly we don't eat it because we don't think about it. We don't think that killing 9 billion animals is uh, a problem, is an issue. That is absurd. It's even more absurd if you're a pet owner. So let's say you have a dog and you love your dog and, and um, you know, like Jude, Jude loves his dog, right? My son, he loves his dog. Like they can't, him and his mom can't go on holiday because of the dog because they love it so much. They don't want to leave it alone. It won't stop him eating some beef. Like, you know what I mean? It's like he, he can love pets, but he doesn't have the same thought of feeling when it comes to any other kind of animal that he's going to eat. And that's because there is an invisible, violent and dominant belief system at play that we don't question and we don't know about. And Melanie Joy, who's been a guest on 1000 Days Sober Podcast, she calls this system carnism. Uh, you know, the real reason why we eat meat is we don't really think about it. Uh, our parents eat it and they get us to eat it. And then we just grow up eating it. And we don't really want to feel the shame uh, and the guilt of um, massacring animals. So we just get on with it, right? An absurdity. And the Cambridge Dictionary definition of absurdity is the quality of being stupid and unreasonable or silly in a humorous way. Um, how does that ring out in alcohol. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about my recent trip to Vegas. So I was in Vegas and me and the team went out to a Mexican restaurant. And one of the people who was out working with, who I respect greatly, um, said to me, Lee, are you going to have a drink with me? Knowing full well that I um, haven't had a drink for 10 years and that I help people with problems with alcohol. He said, are you going to have a drink with me? And I said, no. And then he thrust his wine glass in my face with wine in the bottom of it and said, come on, you're not going to have a drink of me? What's wrong with you? That's disrespectful. 
You're not going to drink with me, you know? Now that is absurd. If you think about it, right? And we'll touch on why in a minute. Another friend of mine who was out at the same time really doesn't like to drink. He's not teetotal like I am, but he doesn't like to drink, okay? He had a glass of red wine while he was drink- eating his meal, but then he didn't want any more. But people kept filling his glass. So they kept asking him. They asked him, do you want a glass? He said no. And then they filled it anyway and said, no, come on, come on. Just have a drink, right? That is absurd. Like, why is it absurd? Well, let's imagine for the moment that that alcohol is heroin and you are not addicted to alcohol or used to be addicted to alcohol or don't want to drink alcohol, but instead you used to be addicted to heroin or you are addicted to heroin and you don't like heroin. Um, Would these people try to push it on you? Would they force it on you? Would they um, ridicule you? Would they really beg you and beg you and, and shame you for not taking heroin? Well, they wouldn't do that, would they? And you can roll out any class A drug. You can stick cocaine in there, ecstasy, mushrooms, you, you name it. Invariably, when you're out in a pub or something, nobody's going to really give you a hard time for not doing it. Not unless you're a teenager <laughs> where you're going to get it, right? But certainly a grown-ass man who knows that you are uh, have been addicted to heroin is not going to push heroin on you. So why push alcohol? Don't you think that's absurd? Don't you think that's a bit ridiculous? Yeah. So what's going on? Well, I can tell you um, with a lot of kind of like confidence, not 100% confidence because I'm not this person, but I can tell you with some confidence that he just thinks it's a joke. He doesn't think that um, I'm going to drink it. He knows that I'm going to say no, but he's just making a joke. But why is he making a joke? I would argue that he's making a joke because I'm a mirror for people. When I sit down at a restaurant and everybody orders this drug and I say, no, I'll just have a water. I'm a mirror for people. I'm saying, I'm showing people, you don't have to drink alcohol to have fun. Just watch me. I'm going to tell jokes. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to make you laugh. I'm going to connect. I'm going to cry. I'm going to get you emotional. I'm going to have stories. I am very, very good at connecting. People, when they come out with me, they like being in my company. I don't drink alcohol. Why? Because I don't need to. Nobody needs to, right? And if you're shy, if you're a little bit of an introvert, you don't really know how to fit in, you feel insecure, drinking alcohol is not going to cure any of those things, right? The way to get around that is to do those things. Is to just work on them. Get a coach, work for your shyness. Get a coach, work for your esteem. It is not to drink your way through it. Because if you drink your way through it, all you literally are doing is you're turning up as your false self. You're turning up as your fractured ego, the parts of you that are, have overtaken the asylum. You're not allowing your true self to be seen, which means you will even forge relationships with other people's fractured ego, with your fractured ego. <laughs> and this is how people get into unhealthy friendships. This is how people get into unhealthy sexual relationships. You know, they end up in relationships with people who they fall in love with. And it's a disaster because what's actually happened is fractured ego and the parts of you that are trying to protect themselves and be defensive and do all kinds of crazy shit fall in love with the same, the opposite. And the true self really is not attracted to the true self of the other person. It's just your fractured ego. You're there because you find each other safe. 
So I'm a mirror, right? So when you have a mirror opposite you, that one of the really best ways for you to deal with that and keep your cognitive dissonance away, so allow you to continue drinking the drug, is to take the mickey out of the person who is not taking the drug, hoping that everyone around you will then come to your aid, right? We have commanded it, you know, like there's, there's, um, there's power in numbers, right? You know, so like, yeah, let's just make a joke of it because if I make a joke of it, it doesn't have to be too serious, right? In another way, it eases that person's uncomfortableness by joking about it. I'm making a joke out of the fact that I'm drinking this powerful poison that kills 3.3 million people that's provided me with no value right now. And if I make a joke about it, you can focus on the joke and not focus on the fact that I'm drinking it. I also see this in parents, and this is going to trigger some of you, but please, I just suggest you sit with it and um, just accept it, be okay with it, and then move on, all right? I believe parents pressure their children to drink alcohol at a very young age. So when I grew up in Ogmore Vale, you had to be 18 to drink. Most parents would be happy with you drinking alcohol to some degree much younger than 18. Why? I don't think it's as straightforward as I don't give a fuck and everything's okay and we're just being autonomous. I think there's something more insidious going on under the hood. I don't think the person, the perpetrator, understands what they're doing. But again, it's part of the invisible, violent, and dominant belief system I call alcoholism. And that is, if my child drinks, then it makes it okay for me to drink. Does that make sense? So if you are an absolute pisshead and you are causing anarchy in your children's lives, but you then normalize it by getting them to drink at some point very quickly, particularly that teenage years, they will start to drink more and it's much more difficult for you to feel the guilt and the shame when they're drinking also. Because imagine you're, you know, you've lost control, like me, for example, when I was drinking. So when I was drinking, I wasn't present with Jude as much as I could have been. I was fighting with his mom all the time. I was lethargic. I wasn't with it. I wasn't growing. I wasn't developing. Um, I wasn't the greatest father in the world, right? Now, if my son is drinking as well, because I have encouraged him to, then it's really difficult for him to say, Dad, you need to fucking shape up because of this drinking thing, because he's also drinking, right? So in a way, it helps you as a parent to normalize what you're doing by indoctrinating your children into the very thing that you're doing, okay? It's all about uncomfortableness, a feeling less uncomfortable, okay? So I just wanted to talk about that. Uh, what else have I wrote here? Yeah, this, um on absurdity, if you ever watched The Kingsman Part 2, The Golden Circle, it's a film with uh, Taron Eggert in it, Basically, the bad, the bad guy, or the bad guy, the bad girl in this case is Julianne Moore, and she's a drug dealer. And, and there's, a, there's a scene where she talks about the absurdity of her as a drug dealer being penalized for selling drugs when the government sells cigarettes and alcohol and gains profit out of it, right? But an even more paradoxical twist on this absurdity when the good guys finally overthrow her, they celebrate by drinking alcohol. And the good guys are actually using a distillery, a whiskey distillery, as a front uh, for their secret agency, right? So the, the whole movie is just, when you look at it through the lens of alcoholism, 
it's completely and utterly absurd, right? It is completely and utterly absurd. And that absurdity is um, part of the program, is part of the problem, all right? Now, I'm just going to end with this. So Melanie Joy is the person who I first heard of this um, idea from, okay? Uh, it was from her book, Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pigs, and Wear Cows, all right? An Introduction to Carnism. And I'm going to read a little bit from her book. And I want you to think about carnism as alcoholism. I want you to think of eating meat as drinking alcohol. And like I said, I do not, I do not give a monkeys if you eat meat. But her work is really prevalent here in our work when it comes to being someone who doesn't drink alcohol. Okay. The carnistic schema. All right, the carnistic schema, so a schema, uh, the way of doing things, which twists information so that nonsense seems to make perfect sense, also explains why we fail to see the absurdities of the system. Consider, for instance, advertising campaigns in which a pig dances joyfully over the fire pit where he or she is about to be barbecued, or chickens wearing aprons while beseeching the viewer to eat them. And consider the veterinarian's oath of the American Veterinary Medical Association, where vets say, I solemnly swear to use my skills for the blah, blah, blah relief of animal suffering, in light of the fact that the vast majority of vets will eat animals simply because they like the way that meat tastes. Or think about how people won't replace their hamburgers with veggie burgers, even if the flavor is identical, because they claim that if they tried hard enough, they can detect a subtle difference in texture. Only when we deconstruct the carnistic schema can we see the absurdity of placing our preference for a flawless recreation of a textural norm over the lives and deaths of billions of others. The carnistic system is riddled with absurdities, inconsistencies, and paradox. It is fortified by a complex network of defenses that make it possible for us to believe without questioning, to know without thinking, and to act without feeling. It is a coercive system that has cultivated in us an elaborate routine of mental gymnastics that keep us from being grounded in our truth. Thus, one cannot help but wonder, why all the acrobatics? Why must a system go to such lengths to keep itself intact? And the answer is simple, because we care about animals and we care about the truth and because the system depends on our not caring and the system is built on deception. Carnism is a house of cards, a fractured and fragmented system that needs a strong fortress to protect itself from its very own proponents, us. And it's the same for alcohol. The alcohol system is riddled with absurdities, inconsistencies, and paradox. The alcohol system is fortified by a complex network of defenses that make it possible for us to believe without questioning, to know without thinking, and to act without feeling. The alcohol system is coercive, and it has cultivated in us an elaborate routine of mental gymnastics that keep us from being grounded in our truth. Thus, one not can't help but wonder, why all the acrobatics? Why must the alcohol system go to such lengths to keep itself intact? And the answer is simple, because we care about human beings and we care about the truth. And because the system depends on our not caring and the system is built on deception, Alcoholism is a house of cards, a fractured and fragmented system that needs a strong fortress to protect itself from its very own proponents, us. I hope that helped. And if you want to get out of this system, if you want to start to see these absurdities for what they are, if you want to move from being a victim to being someone who's in control, then I implore you to reach out to us and join our family here and take the Strive Method, join our Strive family, 
And if you have the resources to work with me one-on-one to help you to see the truth, because it can be absolutely life-changing. Okay. Much love, everybody. Take care. Goodbye.